welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reish, your host, and I'm very excited about our guest today. It's his first time with us. Um, not sure if you know him. He's, he's appeared on many different Catholic podcasts. He's the founder of Salts and Hearts Ministry, souls, soulsandhearts.com, and he's a, a clinical psychologist, and he's a clinical psychologist for over 20 years and has a very strong uh, faith. So I'd love to unpack a bit about that with him. His name is Dr. Peter Molinowski, and he joins me from the States live. Hello, uh, Dr. Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It is an honor to be with you, Sherbel. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we are on the other sides of the of the world. But, uh, <laughs> it's so wonderful through technology we can connect like this and um, and and really uh, share, I guess, uh, truth and and our stories together. Yeah, yeah. So maybe because it is your first time, uh, Doctor, I'd love to just touch a bit about your background. How, are, you are a, a practicing Catholic. Um, have you always yes. been? Are you are you a cradle Catholic? I'm, I am you... a cradle Catholic. Yes, I okay. grew up. I, I was baptized, uh, you know, on a military at a military base uh, when I was when I was just an infant. Uh, went through twelve years of Catholic education. Grew up uh, almost all of my childhood was in was in Wisconsin, uh, up in the north. Oh, yep. And um, yeah, and so twelve years of Catholic education, and then and then off to college. So, yep. And um, and then and then yeah, oh, go ahead. Uh, did you did you ever fall away from your faith, or you you stayed? Community? I never I never fell away, but I in college. So where I grew up, where I grew up in Wisconsin, it was almost all Catholics and Lutherans. Very little um, sort of religious diversity. Kind of a bubble in some ways. So it was very easy to be Catholic in a sense. Mm -hmm. And when I went off to university, I really wasn't prepared for what I was going to find there. And I found myself in a situation in where uh, I experienced some real spiritual abuse and some real psychological abuse some trauma. And back in those days, back in the 80s, we're talking back in the mid 80s now, we didn't understand trauma very well at all. And so one of the things that that I came away from as a young man, 22 years old, having been having gone through some pretty significant damage was, first of all, I never want this to happen to me again. Well, first of all, what happened? I never want it to happen to me again. And how can I keep it from happening to other people? How can I help other people recover? So so then I then I actually I never took a psychology class as an undergraduate, but then I went and got my PhD in um, in clinical psychology with a real passion for grounding the understanding and the practice of psychology and a Catholic understanding of the human person. And I almost gave up. Because back in those days, there weren't any doctoral programs in, in psychology that were Catholic in the United States, not one. There were some at Catholic universities, but they were far from, from being Catholic. And um, and it was through the grace of God, it was through uh, St. Teresa of Avila, through Dietrich von Hildebrand, uh, his book, and uh, Transformation in Christ, Phenomenology. Uh, and it was through some good supervision uh, in in doing some clinical work that I was able to say, okay, I think there's a way that we could actually uh, ground the practice of psychology in a Catholic and a Catholic understanding of the human person and bring together what we're learning. Because then in those days, the field of traumatology really took off in 1990, 1991. Uh, there were all kinds of new things coming in, but they were disconnected with the perennial wisdom of the Catholic Church. So that's really what my passion is. It's about overcoming the natural level obstacles, the obstacles in our in our humanity, in our human development that keep us from a deep, intimate, and personal relationship 
with God, our father, especially, and with Mary, our mother. Um, because so much of the trouble that we have as a depth psychologist, I'll say, goes back to um, the ways that we were formed, you know, because our, our earthly parents were imperfect. So, so that's really what this is all about. And, um, and that's been my passion to, is to say, okay, first for the 20 years that I've spent in private practice and now kind of trying to bring that out to a much broader audience. So. Yeah, fan, I'm, I'm excited to unpack all, all that. <laughs> I, I, I can't move on without at least uh, touching on, I mean, you, uh, you said you experienced personal trauma. Um, yes. You did it. How long did it take? I guess, did you, have you overcome that? Was it something, a process and, um, I don't know how much you're happy to share, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, it involved, uh, it involved some, some, um, some real, um, psychological coercion that was laced with a bunch of quasi Catholic, um, um, spiritual direction and things like that. So, so there was, you know, there was this, um, this experience that I had of, um, of being manipulated um, and not realizing it at the time, not understanding that a lot of what was happening was actually not Catholic at all. And so I, I really got into like, okay, what happened to me? And I, I, um, I, I did some work in, in my own life. Went to, th I went to therapy. Um, it struggled with this in the spiritual realm. Got some, got some help from a variety of different sources. Um, and um, and yeah, I would say that I overcame it. Um, but again, I also think that there are uh, always things that are unresolved, right? There's always things that are unresolved. So um, still in a process of becoming, but I'm grateful for it. And this is really what I want for people that have experienced trauma is that they get to the point where they see the providential hand of God in everything that happened, you know, that mm -hmm. Romans 8.28 still holds, right? All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And that includes whatever kind of, of trauma God knew before the beginning of time, everything that would happen to me, everything that would happen to you, everything that would happen to every single person on the planet and has a plan for that. And how do we understand that? Um, but also don't just spiritualize everything, get the help that we need in the natural realm, work with our human formation as well. So the best of both. Brilliant. Oh, okay. This is, yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, just about your professional uh, world then. So, um, so I'm, we're, I guess we're in the 90s now. You, you had a, did you have your own clinic, uh, your clinical psychologist? <laughs> what was it like in your professional world? Uh, a bit about your career. So, I guess. Yeah. So I went to graduate school in 1993 uh, to Ohio University. Like I said, there weren't any Catholic programs. I went to a, a, a really secular program, really went looking for some mentorship, for some guidance you know, hoping that someone would take me under their wing. A lot of disappointments about that. Um, what I didn't realize at the time is I was really looking for God, a deeper relationship with God. But I was trying to see if one of these faculty members, one of my advisors or so forth would help me out. Um, and um, was really unimpressed with what I was learning. I was in a, a program that heavily emphasized research. Uh, so it wasn't as emphasizing as much the clinical side. Um, and I, I didn't get great supervision when I was in, um, when I was in my graduate program. So I went into my clinical internship, uh, thinking maybe I'm going to go into academia, you know, and, and I retreated into 
pain control, behavioral medicine, you know, things like that. Cause it felt like at least I, I knew I could do something good because I knew that with what I had in graduate school, I wasn't getting to the core. I wasn't helping people tolerate being loved and then loving in return. We weren't getting to that level. And what I figured out was that it is a terrible thing to tolerate the love of God because what people don't understand is that the love of God is given freely, but it's not received freely. You can't just take in the love of God and expect that nothing's going to change. You know, what people often want, at least on the surface, is what more like Hallmark movie love, you know, which doesn't require any effort. It comes naturally. Everybody's happy and so forth. But if you're going to actually take the love of God in, it's going to burn away things that are not only sinful, but things that are disordered, things that are um, imperfect. It's also going to ask you to give up lesser goods for those greater goods. And so... I was really impressed when I was on your website. I saw that, you know, that in your mission, uh, in your vision, you are looking at this deep personal relationship with God. That's exactly what I'm looking for, too, is for people to be able not to look at Catholicism as a moral code, not to focus on the spiritual life as primarily the building of virtue, but actually what we're called to is a deep and intimate personal relationship yeah. with the three persons of the Trinity and with our lady. And as a clinical psychologist, I'm particularly interested in a deep relationship with God, the father and Mary, our mother, because they're our primary parents. Our earthly parents are our secondary parents. God, the father, Mary, our mother, those are our primary parents. And any deficits that we had in our upbringing, and sure, there's going to be lots of them because all of our parents were sinners. Those God had a plan to make up for those in his paternity and in our lady's maternity. So, wow. Oh, this is, this is, um, uh, yeah, this is amazing. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm excited about this because a lot of there's a lot of misinterpretation about what uh, clinical psychology does, and 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 many people, I guess, can focus too much on one or the other, and without seeing the complementarity of of the two, and so the natural realm and the spiritual realm. And when does it? So with your, I'm just curious about a, being a clinical psychologist. Um, in the secular world, uh, there are many out there. Uh, is there a, when with your faith, what added layer does that give when you're, I guess, uh, consulting people and giving, you know, if you didn't have a faith and you're a clinical psychologist, I guess you can help to a degree so far. But when does that sort of require now the spiritual realm to come into play? I'm, I'm curious to see where the crossover is. And yeah. What does that do? So, so the practice, the practice, every psychology, the practice of every psychology, every every school of psychotherapy, for example, is grounded on four four other disciplines: philosophy, mm. theology, metaphysics, and epistemology. Okay, every practice of psychology has these implicit assumptions, things that you just take for granted. So let me give you an easy example: feminist psychologists. All right, they are going to basically take a worldview of feminism, you know, whatever stripe of feminism they have, and they're going to practice in accordance with the assumptions of that worldview. So that's why there's not a lot of um, sort of conceptual unity in the field of psychology is because the different um, philosophies and theologies, the different 
the epistemologies, the different metaphysical understandings of the human person, they're all so different. How they understand the human person is very, very different. Yeah. A lot of more secular approaches are essentially going to operate off of hedonism. They're going to operate off of a, a system that seeks to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Interesting. And so in a system like that, suffering is seen as as bad. Suffering is undesirable. There's not an understanding of the redemptive value of suffering, for example. That's just one small example. Um, so what I'm really interested in is, okay, how do we, how do we start with divine revelation, what we know to be true, the perennial truths of the church, because then we get to cheat. We have a huge advantage then, you know, um, because we're not just operating off of whatever you know, whatever anthropology the particular clinician happens to have. That's a really important thing. That's like a guiding star. Um, and so um, and so that's that's really, really a fundamental, that's really a fundamental, a fundamental thing. And one of the reasons why psychologists don't agree about a lot of things. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'm I'm fascinated that the theology was one of those <laughs> and metaphysics. Mm -hmm. So so is that 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 would be even across the secular uh, yeah, well. I mean, they don't talk about it a lot because you. How do you teach to you know to a room full of people who have wildly different you know philosophical yeah. and theological ideas? So, you know, psychology has sort of you know said, okay, well, we're scientific, you know, we're we're based off the scientific method and so forth. But there's a lot of art in the way that you do psychotherapy, if we're honest about that. Um, and so, um, and when you get to questions like identity. Mm -hmm. How you treat someone as a clinical psychologist is going to be very different if you see them as an agglomeration of atoms and molecules brought together by chance and evolution, or whether you see that person as a beloved son or daughter of God. Wow. It, it just changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, if you believe in Romans 8.28, which we mentioned before, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, that's very different then if you've got a Hobbesian view of the world, that it's a dog eat dog place, that it's, you know, that it's all about like survival of the fittest and things like that. That's a very different worldview. And that's what gets so, um, that's what, that what's get, that's what, that's the thing that gets so lost sometimes is that, you know, these underlying anthropological assumptions about the, about the human person are going to inform the way that we practice, even if we don't think about it, even if we don't make it explicit. You know, that stuff, all that stuff is operating implicitly. That's so what is the nature of God? What is the nature of, uh, you know, what is the, how are we called to be in relationship to each other? Mm -hmm. You know, all of that um, informs the practice of psychology. And one of the things that, one of the troubles that we run into, Catholic psychologists, Catholic mental health professionals generally run into is a lot of jadedness, a lot of suspicion. Because people have come into contact with other mental health professionals that are operating off of these very different anthropologies and bring in things that, you know, obviously can contradict with the Catholic faith. The, the important thing is not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We want to be Catholic with a big C, but we also want to be Catholic with a little C. And we want to listen to St. Augustine when he tells us in De Doctrina Christiana, book two, chapter 40, to despoil the Egyptians, to be able to take all of the good things that... Uh, our Lord is offering us wherever they come from, you know? So I would say to people that are really suspicious about psychology, do you believe in DNA? You know, do you believe in the double helix structure of DNA? Because if you do, that was discovered by Watson and Crick, both of whom just demonstrated a lot of anti-Catholic bigotry. 
right? So when you're thinking about saying the unconscious is nonsense because Freud was was he was anti-religion, okay, so he was a poor theologian and an amateur philosopher, but he made some really important observations. Can we take the good from that? Can we understand what what our Lord might have used him to discover? And can we can we sift out what's what's really helpful and from what's not, from what's true, what's true and good and beautiful from what's not? That's a great point. Um, yeah, how do we how do we uh, take the good from the natural world and from 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 the secular world, from even faithless people? Um, but take the good is always the good. absolutely absolutely. Um, we oh, there's so many directions we can go here, but I, I do want to know. Just typically speaking, I guess from your your experience, what what are I guess more the more common um, scenarios people would visit you for? I mean, I understand these days, uh, and I don't know the exact stat. You could confirm this, but one in three I understand of people are suffering from anxiety at some degree or another. Depression is at an all time high. Is that correct? Uh, and and in your experience. Uh, would they be, you know, depression would come in many forms. Would would, would this sort of type of those are never the primary. Those are never the primary problems. Depression, anxiety, mania, psychosis. Those are those are all symptoms. Okay. See, that's the problem in could the field. Please, yeah, unpack. Yeah, the, the the problem in the field is that we don't understand what's what's an underlying problem and what's a symptom. Almost everything yeah. that's in the diagnostic and statistical manual, ver, you know, version five. We're on chat. We're on edition five now. Those are all symptom constellations. Okay. Mania, panic attacks, generalized anxiety, depression, all of those are just symptoms. It's sort of like if you went in to see your physician and you and he diagnosed you and he said, you have fever and abdominal pain disorder. You know, he's not catching, he's just identifying symptoms. He's not catching that you have appendicitis, right? And if you don't get that appendicitis check, you know, checked out. If you, if that's not, if he just gives you painkillers and and Tylenol to reduce your fever, uh, he's not done you any any services. He's not. He's done you a disservice, actually. So a lot of the problem in modern psychology is that we are misdiagnosing, we're misunderstanding, mm -hmm. we're looking at the symptom and saying that's the problem. And now let me let me let me let me be clear. If you have a symptom, let's say a fever of 108. That's a real problem in and of itself. That can kill you, right? So it's not that the symptoms are not important. I'm not. I don't want to say that for for you know that 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 you know severe depression or crippling anxiety or panic attacks that those aren't problems. They are problems. They're problems in their own right. But when you trace them back, if you take a depth approach to psychology and you start to understand how are these things connected to identity, how are they connected to a sense of being loved so they're basically it all boils down to 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 one thing and it's opposite it boils down to love and a lack of love everything every all disorder in the world charbel came in because of original sin and it all came in because of sin and what is sin well you can understand sin in a lot of different ways you can understand sin as a burden. You can understand sin as the breaking of a law. You can understand sin in a variety of different ways. I wrote a, a weekly reflection on this not long ago, but I like to look at sin as the breaking of relationship and the refusal to love. Ultimately, that's what sin is. It's anything that separates us from God who is love. And so when you walk all of these back, 
what you're going to find is that every psychological disorder has its roots in not being loved or in not loving. Interesting. So, that, so is this something so, profound through your faith that you discover this? Or is this over? Yeah, um, well, this is about thinking. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have something I could read back in 1980. 1991 when i started on this journey um but yeah this is this is the fruit of a lot of prayer um a lot of talking with others that are struggling with these same kinds of things and some of it is just going back to what we know to be true by our faith right our, our faith does have important foundational questions it answers important foundational questions for us like where does evil come from? What is evil? Yeah. You know, it's really helpful to know that evil is a privation of good. Evil, evil exists where the good is not. And so when you couple that with, you know, with what we're finding from all these other disciplines and not just psychology, but also things like neuroscience, and you start to make the connections it's 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 amazing what can happen then. But we have to be open. We have to be Catholic with a small C. Uh, we have to be open to um, to to information that comes from those outside the church. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and 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 I think that's one of the disadvantages that sometimes Catholics experience is because you are not going to find a good treatment for bulimia in the early church fathers. You're just not. <laughs> You know, um, and to neglect how God may have wanted to show us, you know, ways to work with folks that struggle with that, you know, uh, I think does them a disservice. So there is, there's particular, you know, the, so we want to have both the openness, we want to have the benefit of the old and the benefit of the new. Is it, um, so, so back, I guess back to then what would be, can and can, can you identify common traits or common? Is it ultimately what you're saying is, are, are people um, either there's a lack of love or lack uh, of being loved and loving, but 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 in all psychology and all all sort of all of your clients or, or patients that come to see you, um, are there common traits that without you know just yeah it's they they having, struggle they struggle with this this whole thing of love go back to genesis yeah, 3 everything starts in genesis right genesis 3 the first thing that happens right after the fall in the garden of eden is that adam and eve head off to the bushes and they hide from god yeah yeah you know they've they've severed their relationship and they are not seeking to reestablish it you know what does god do he comes and he calls out where are you now god knows exactly where they are he doesn't need to like have them answer in order to locate them in the bushes. He's doing that to let them know he's coming because even though they've broken the one law he gave them, you know, he still loves them, right? There's a gentleness there. He takes care of them, gives them clothes, you know, um, and so forth. So what, what will, what will lead to, there's basically one thing that separates people who get so much better from people who don't. And that is, can they be open to the idea of divine providence, that God loves them as a beloved son or daughter? You want to separate out the people that get better from the people that don't. In my mm -hmm. practice, 
That's the that's the deciding question. You know, because there are people that have undergone tremendous traumas yeah. um, and who have been able to see the hand of God in them. You know, St. Paquita, for example, um, yeah. you know, is, is, is a great example. St. Um, Maximilian Kolbe, another example, right? Believing in terrible circumstances that God was loving them, was with them. And then there are others who believe that God either ignored them or that God condemned them or that God didn't care or that God hated them. You know, so this whole question of God images and self images comes up. And these are the these are the ways we feel in our bones. This is not our, you know, our, our, our frontal, you know, our frontal cortex and how we think about God from what, you know, Mrs. Stecker taught us in religion class in second grade. This is, this is like what we feel in our bones. This is what was formed into us in these processes that happened many long before we achieved the long before we achieved the, the use of reason at seven, roughly long mm -hmm. before we could even talk, we are making assumptions about whether the world is safe or not, whether people are good or not, whether people in positions of authority love us or not. And we generalize those to God and we generalize those to God. You know, I, and I found this out like, you know, like really early in my practice, because anytime I had a client that was talking about God as mother, you know, I would hear about toxic father images, you know, these, these, these toxic relationships with the father, abusive father, neglectful father, abandoning father, whatever. And what was going on is that this wasn't just a, a theological construct that the person was choosing. This was an attempt to preserve some kind of positive image of God. And the father image was just so toxic that, that it wouldn't work. So I could have taken like, like some therapists do, unfortunately, um, a kind of catechal approach and say, no, God revealed himself to us as father, you know, or I could, or I could say, look, if we really work on these father wounds, if we can heal these father wounds, um, what I was finding is that then I didn't have to do much. And people were like, okay, now I can tolerate God as father, right? It wasn't a spiritual problem, primarily Charvel. It was a natural level problem that had to do with the trauma because of the harm that the unresolved wounds of a bad relationship with dad. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway. And so I was finding that people had so many different kinds of, sp and I, I, so when I started out, I was so green, I was so, I was greener than grass. And I, I was the only really Catholic psych psychologist for like a, in, in like, in like 6,000 square miles. I had people coming from hours and hours away, 16,000 square kilometers. Um, and so they would, you know, I was, the, I was one that was going to say, yeah, I'm Catholic. I didn't, I wasn't a very good clinician, I, you know, I, I, when I started out. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and I learned, I learned in relationship with people, you know, about, and I was seeing all these connections because I was trained psychoanalytically initially. Um, well, not initially, my initial training was all cognitive behavioral therapy and behavioral medicine and stuff like that. But, um, but after I, I got out, I, 
uh, got a grad got out of grad school, I I worked um, under a psychoanal under a psychoanalyst for seven years, and what he taught me was a great experience. He taught me about depth. He taught me, you know, about symbol. He taught me about like looking way below the surface about the difference between symptom and cause, and um and so so yeah, I was starting to put these things. He wasn't Catholic, but I was bringing in the Catholic stuff, you know, and so a lot of it was <laughs> a lot of it was trial and error. Um, you know, and I appreciate the, the patients I had or the clients I had early in my career, uh, as I was fumbling around, uh, trying to figure these things out. Fascinating. Is it, is it healings? Is it like a healing wound? You know, these wounds, people go through traumas, um, can, can, can they take longer and short, you know, some might take longer to, to get through these and overcome these than others, I imagine. Is, do you it depends that? on how it depends on how open the person's system is yeah. to love. Okay. It really depends how open the the person's system is to trusting, to tolerating the vulnerability around love. It doesn't have as much to do with symptom severity. Okay. It doesn't have as much to do with symptom severity. It has much more to do with can the person, will the person um dare. And for some people with complex trauma histories, I mean, I don't, I, I, there, you know, I don't know if I would be able to come out of what they were coming out of. I, I wasn't given those. Um, my story was different, but you know, um, but yeah, it's really about can I believe? And they're going to have to have faith, mm. um, because faith is, you know, this kind of trust or confidence in something you don't see. Often, you're not going to be able to see it right away. We can acquire confidence in God in two ways. One, because of faith. And the second way, the second is because we we tasted and saw. You know, we're invited to in the Psalms to taste and see. Taste yeah. and see the goodness of the Lord. That's a really visceral, relational thing. It's an embodied thing. Taste and see. Paul repeats it in Hebrews 6, uh, if you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Um, you know, so um, the, uh, you know, so, but it's a very visceral relational experiential aspect of this it's not something you're going to study your way to some of the people i know i've I've had as clients that have had the most difficulty have had advanced degrees in philosophy and theology have tried to think their way out of this and that's not what we're called to do we're called to become like little children you know let the little children come to me and do not hinder them but the kingdom of god is made up of such as these so um so and there's a lot that we we didn't understand 30 years ago. We didn't understand when I was in graduate school, when I started graduate school back in 1993, almost 30 years ago, we knew so much less about this stuff. And what's happened is that um, that now we are understanding the brain so much better. We're understanding uh, neurochemical processes so much better. We're understanding it's been a, it's been a real revolution. Um, and so what I want to do is be able to bring these things. I don't expect that the bishops are going to understand this. I don't under, you know, expect the mm. priests are going to understand this very well. Um, it's not really their area. Um, but I think what we're called to do is kind of catch up with some of this and find the ways to be able to put these two things together. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, I, I, I can imagine how many different cases where priests have, have people who are struggling in many different fronts and 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 they're not, I guess, qualified to deal with many of these things. And however, they can give them uh, support. They can give them guidance. And 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 sometimes, you know, I've heard this. A good confession can heal a lot. But uh, um, it's naming what it is, isn't it? Uh, we're, we're talking quite a range of things people are going through. But but I love how you just said um, earlier. You know, it does distill down to really 
your the way you love the way yeah do you accept love or are you loving um and it goes right back to genesis and this understanding uh, can i um yeah t talk about then uh the, this need in with the faith in the catholic in your experience now in say in recent times how how are we faring now are, are there many other catholic uh, psychologists out there that do you have colleagues that are working with you are there many people that you know of and can recommend because I imagine this would be a, a big help if there are Catholic psychologists out there. When I originally hung my shingle up as a psychologist in 2001, there was one other Catholic mental health professional, like I said, in this huge area. Now we have 25, um, and so um, so it's it's, it's it's grown it's grown am amazingly well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we now have programs like um, Divine Mercy University um, that is grounded specifically in a Catholic anthropology. The Catholic Psychotherapy Association started up in the meantime, and they've got 600 or 700 members, um, you know, worldwide and an annual conference and, and, and a lively community. So we are in a, such a better place uh, right. than where we were when I was starting up. Yeah, praise God for that. And and I imagine there's still plenty of work to do in, in this space, but uh, this is great to know and learn. Could could we do something here before I want to I do want to dive into your your ministry. Um, okay. but maybe as a dovetail, if there's people watching right now and people struggling on all fronts right now. Yes. And 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 there are people on medication to deal with um depression, anxiety. We've got we've got uh many, many mental uh um cases and i'm just throwing this out i'm, I'm not using any example i'm just throwing right. what's coming to my mind adhd and, and 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 other types of conditions and people are are being told over and over again what they are and you mentioned earlier uh these symptoms but uh, what does that do uh there's a there's a strong sense of loneliness there's a strong sense of right. no one else cares there's this idea out there you know many struggle that i've come across uh personally that you know, no one gets it. No one gets me. No right. one understands no one what I'm me. going through. Yep. And there is a. Where does a person like that right now who's watching right now, uh, and and they feel that no one understands them, suicidal thoughts. You get people on on right. Uh, right. How where do they begin, uh, and where do you recommend they 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 I guess take their first steps, um, in in recovery, um, and yeah, and and on, on the other side of that coin is are there people that don't know they have something and, <laughs> and, and, you know and, and and sort of are there let me start with let me start with that let me start yes. with that Cheryl. okay yes thank you so go, let's go back to genesis we'll go back to we'll go back to genesis 3 and it's pretty clear to most catholics what the impact of original sin was on the human body catastrophic mm -hmm. impact on the human body because now you have aging illness sickness you have death right? You have, um, you have pain, you have uh, pain in childbirth, but just this, this catastrophic impact on the human body. And that's pretty evident from how we were before the fall. I argue that the impact on our psyches was even worse and we can't see it. We don't see it because it's not so obvious. Um, and so what, what, trauma does and my my uh my co-founder of souls and hearts jerry crete he calls original sin he also refers to it as the original trauma yeah. because what trauma does is it fragments the person inside 
it it actually creates division inside because part of what defines trauma is an experience that's overwhelming to the person it cannot be appreciated it cannot be uh it cannot be managed so it's got to be broken up it's got to be sort of siloed in different ways within the person and it leads to internal division within the person that's that's the hallmark of tra- of of trauma which is why dissociation is so common so commonly accompanies trauma we can't put a and b and c together you know we can't we can't handle the intensity of that and so so what what we're looking for and this is straight out of saint thomas aquinas what we're looking for is internal unity or internal integration that's what we're looking for in a natural realm. And so when we're so fragmented, we have to tolerate being loved first. We have to tolerate being loved first. Why, why do you say because, tolerate? I'm curious about that. Okay, because, because it goes back to what we were talking a little bit about before. Um, we know that with sin there's a darkness that comes there's a blindness that comes mm. right there's a misunderstanding that comes when adam and eve hid in the hid in the bushes they hid from god their god image had deteriorated they did not see god as he actually was mm. they did not understand love anymore because of the the um the darkening of the intellect and so when you experience love in a trauma state, that's not immediately experienced as necessarily good. You know, let's say that, for example, um, you come across a person just in ordinary life at work or at the bus stop and and you notice the person's kind of struggling maybe a little bit and you're just kind of kind and she draws away from you. Because she's sensing that if she becomes vulnerable, she's going to lose it. She's going to burst out crying. You know, there's going to be this, mm. this, a scene. Um, and so what we have to, what we have, what we need to be able to do, this is some of one of the reasons why I'm so adamant that we've got to get this human formation stuff right, is to be able to know how to love our, our, our neighbor. It's, it doesn't look like we often think it does. And so um so to appreciate like how dangerous it seems to the person to be vulnerable again you're never going to hurt me again i'm i'm you know it's like uh paul simon's song i am a rock i'm an island you know a rock feels no pain and an island never cries and he's talking he's got his books and his poetry to protect him he's shielded in his armor you know this is the protective reaction that happens to guard us against our shame to guard us against our loss of identity as being beloved sons and daughters of god and so there's a lot of gentleness that has to come in a lot of patience um you know often when people are traumatized they act in ways that drive other people off because they're trying to protect themselves they're fragmented inside they're acting in ways that are across purposes of their deepest desires. And so it's a terrible thing to receive the love of God. Like I said, it's going to burn away 
anything that's sinful within us. It's going to burn away anything that we've relied on to try to help us survive. So there's like a lot of life and death decisions. At least they're experienced as life and death decisions when people begin to trust God again, or when they begin to trust that somebody else might actually reflect the love of God to them. That's interesting. Yeah, you're facing yourself, isn't it? And you've got to know yourself. And the first step to any recovery is to know and acknowledge. Uh, and yeah, what do this hope. and and what do the saints say about themselves? How yeah. do the saints describe They're themselves? Sinners, the greatest sinners, and and yeah. They, and and fine. and so when I was in high school, I thought, well, they're just kind of, they're overdoing it. That's that pious hyperbole. Yeah. <laughs> they're gilding the lily, you know. That's this is just like you know. But as as I as I as I begin to understand things a little more deeply, I'm like, no, they were in touch with their wretchedness, and the reason they could be in touch with their wretchedness and not lose their minds is because they understood that they were loved by God. That's what allows them to see. It's not that they're more wretched than the rest of us. They're not, you know, but they can actually hold that there could be this disorder inside. There could be um, this confusion, this chaos, this wretchedness, however you want to describe that, but it's okay because God loves them anyway, you know? Mm. And, and so there is this, uh, and then, and then once they can hold that, then they can hold that that love could have a purifying effect within them, right? So, um, so yeah, people people do not understand what a terrible thing it is, what a dangerous thing it seems to be for someone who's traumatized to to allow that themselves to be loved. Yeah, yeah. I could see it now. Yeah, I could see what you mean. At first, I was wondering, what on earth are you saying? Where, where are you going with that? <laughs> but I understand that yeah, it's, it can be confronting. And wow. Um, can, uh, can we just touch on, uh, I think it's a, uh, it's a big one, because we talk about the world is out there that don't know God uh, are talking about freedom and freedom, this lack of understanding of freedom. And this will sort of lead into your ministry, which is quite important right. to find this. But freedom is to do whatever you want, however you want, to whoever you want, as often as you want. And it's very much about pleasure seeking and it misses the mark, I guess, on um, on things because it leads to, unfortunately, addiction. So when we do things like uh, um, uh, drinking and smoking and and uh, and drugs and, 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 and a range of things, even other things, we get so um, used to it and gratified by it and we want that gratification and it gets to a point where we become addiction, addicted. Is addiction... Um, a major part of the psychosis like is it a, a big psychological thing or it's a habit i know there's a habitual sins or habitual things but could you this diff unpack a little so, bit so, so yeah so saint thomas aquinas says that we always choose at least a perceived good mm -hmm. we're always seeking at least a perceived good and so what i see with addictions my question is always what's the perceived good yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of old style approaches to addictions was basically don't do that. You know, don't don't do that. Right. It's just stop it. You know, um, and um, and, you know, at, one of the things that we've that actually has been rediscovered in uh, sec from secular approaches is that there is a good that's being sought. 
I mean, actually, they're they're actually discovering. They don't know it, but they're discovering the summa on this, you know, um, and yeah. that that there was some sort of association with um, with the experience that was to meet a deep need. And I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna run through ten the the ten core needs. You can you can look at almost all problematic behavior, almost all symptoms as a result of, in terms of these needs. So Brown and Elliott wrote a book in 2016 called Attachment Disturbances in Adults. And they summarized the literature on attachment on our, on our human relationship. And they came up with five primary conditions for secure attachment. That is a felt sense of safety and protection Feeling that's the first one. Second one, feeling seen, heard, known, and understood. Feeling it, not just being seen, heard, known, and understood, but feeling it. Mm. Third, feeling comforted, soothed, reassured. Fourth, um, feeling uh, cherished, treasured, and delighted in. And fifth, feeling that the other person, the attachment figure, the, the other person has your highest good in mind. I, I came up with five integrity needs that I go, that go with these. And these five integrity needs are the need to exist and survive, yeah. the need to matter, the need to have agency, the need to be good, to be ontologically good, and the need for mission and purpose. And when you look at um, all kinds of problematic behaviors, you can usually trace it to an attempt to meet one of those 10, one or more of those 10 needs. Or it takes a person back to a time where one of those 10 needs seemed to have been met. Yeah. So when you think, when you, when you, when you, when you look at somebody, for example, sometimes um, some symptoms don't make a lot of sense to people if they've never been in that particular kind of dark hole, like cutting. All right, cutting on oneself. All right. Um we've recognized that um that you know if you get down to the bottom of that, it has different meanings because the symptoms can can reflect different underlying um conditions, but but some people cut because when they see the blood come out, they know they're still alive. They feel so dead that they're looking for some kind of confirmation that they still exist, that they're still alive right? That's an integrity need, you know, the need to know that I exist. So if you understand that as the problem, that's quite different than understanding the cutting as a problem. You know, um, you see yeah. the difference between the symptom and the underlying Definitely. cause, right? Yeah. Right. And, and so if this particular person were to come into contact, receive the love of God, know that she was a beloved daughter of God, you wouldn't need the cutting. To prove that you exist. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So, so what I think about when I think about addiction, and that could be a behavioral compulsion, you know, to, you know, as a way to continue to, to prove that I exist, um, or the way to, or just that I feel something, right? Because sometimes there's so much dissociation, there's so much numbing out. That's the way the person knows to feel anything. Um, I go back to these 10, I go back to these 10 primary needs. What's the answer to it all? It, it, it sounds simple, right? Um, going back to the Beatles, right? All you need is love. Yeah. But the question isn't, 
the question is, how does that make sense for that person? How does that get lived out with that person in that moment, in that situation? That's where you need attunement. You need to really be able to enter in to the other person's phenomenological world. And the number one thing that prevents that us from doing that is our own formation, our own human formation, our own spiritual formation. Very interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking as you were saying that, and especially the first five, uh, you're familiar with the a book written on the five love languages. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and what yeah. that's trying to identify. And I'm, I just can't mm -hmm. help thinking, is that something, is there some correlation here somehow? Because those needs in the five, are basically needs, aren't they? The five love languages are how someone, what's been identified there. And it's a man of faith that's, uh, What's your comment? I guess the five love languages. Are you familiar with them? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's brilliant in the sense that it gets people thinking about these things and gets yes. people thinking that you can't you you want to be able to understand love in the mode of the receiver, right? Yes. yes. I yes. mean, I've heard people say things like, "Well, that's just the way I love," you know. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I always give you know, my nieces and my nephews, a great big wet kiss on the, on the face, regardless of whether they want it or not. Cause that's how I show my love. Well, that could be like really intrusive and invasive, right? Like, Whoa, you know, this is not love. Right. No. So I think we really want to remember like that we're working with somebody who might see the world very, very differently yes. than we do. Um, you know, St. Therese of the zoo, you know, said that our souls are so much different from one another, more so than our faces, you know? Wow. And so how something, how we react to something, um, you know, is, uh, it, you know, can, can, can vary wildly from person to person, depending on what our particular experience of that particular thing is, you know? Yeah. So, so we want to be able to enter into another person's phenomenological world to be safe enough to be invited in. Yeah, very good. Most people are really alienated. They're real, they really, they really struggle yeah. with feeling seen, heard, known, and understood. They really uh, this one of feeling treasured, delighted in. You know, I was just talking not long ago with a psychologist friend of mine, Dr. Peter Martin, who said, that's the toughest one to have a sense of like really feeling it in our bones that God cherishes us yeah. and delights in us. And sometimes that's because of, you know, the lack of integration. It could be lack of faith. It could also be desolation, right? I mean, you know, yeah. we're, you know, as we look at the the biography, the autobiography of, of, of Mother Teresa, right? Long periods of time where she wasn't feeling that. You know, but she was granted the faith to be able to at least understand that, you know, in a knowing by faith way. So, um, so the way that we can help others, if we really want to love our neighbor, I think we want to make sure that we're bringing in some of these ideas, even like the love languages, right? That was a popular book uh, that came out, you know, it was readily accessible. And I think it helped a lot of people mm -hmm. to actually recognize that, hey, my spouse's love language is touch and mine is giving gifts. And the, this is very different how, you know, what we, what we're looking for in the relationship, you know, because we, you know, sometimes we take it a little too literally do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, you know, 
we want to understand that a little more broadly than the particular behavior, because you might have an idiosyncratic thing, you know, and your wife might not want you to just serve her a beer and have her watch the football game or the soccer game. Right. I mean, she may have a very different thing. She might have a conversation or something. Right. So, you know, so there's a, there's a, uh, you know, we want to really appreciate what other people, um, not just, and not just what they want, but what they need. And how do we offer it to them, you know, incrementally, you know, St. Paul talks about, you know, meat and milk, you know, you know, you, you have to be careful in the approach too about what can they tolerate? Like our, like God was right in the garden calling out to them. If he had appeared in front of them in the bushes, you know, full manifestation of all his glory, yeah. they couldn't take that, you know, they couldn't take that. So he, he lets them know he's coming from a distance. You know, let's let's them have an opportunity to run further if they choose to, because they could have fled further into the bushes. They chose not to. They sensed something, sensed a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So what we want to do, what we want to do is be safe enough to be able to connect. And you don't have to be a psychologist to do this. You don't have to be a mental health professional to do this. Um, but there is, there are some really important things in human formation that you could learn and that you could experience and that you could correct in your own self. Because St. Thomas Aquinas basically says that we're going to love others like we love ourselves, you know? And so if there are parts of us that we reject, if there are parts of us that we condemn, if there are parts of us that we won't tolerate, that we force into the unconscious, that we try to banish, we're not going to tolerate those very well in anybody else either. Yeah. And so the reason we need to love ourselves, our Lord tells us this, Luke 10, 27, love your neighbor as yourself, is not, you know, it's not just so that, um, you know, it's this This is not, this is not a, a, a sort of throwaway line. We actually do need to love ourselves in order to value ourselves, in order to be able to make a gift of ourselves to anybody else. If we treat ourselves badly, if we think of ourselves as worthless, um, what kind of gift are we going to be able to make of ourselves? So there's a lot of human formation work that we need to do, even more so now because we've gotten so far away from natural law. We've gotten so far away from what we can observe and what we can embrace using unaided you know, human reason alone. Um, and so we actually, there's actually a greater need for it now than there might've been in years past. I agree. Yeah, that's fascinating. I wish we had more time because we could go, <laughs> I think we, I mean, there's courses and a whole range of things that you've actually got. Can we talk about your website? I mean, uh, hearts and souls, um, let's, let's sure. talk about souls and sure. hearts. Souls and hearts, souls and hearts. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, souls and hearts. Um, so I worked in, in, in private practice for, for almost 20 years. And I was like, you know what? I am starting to feel a call. I've got to try to get this out to the world more. You know, I, I'm not just supposed to stay in my consulting office with my, you know, my 20 clients, you know, and, and, uh, you know, my comfortable little hobbit hole that I'm in, you know, which I'm in right now. And this is part of my house. It's a very nice little setup. I've got a little five acre farm, you know, and so forth. But I had a sense that God was calling me to like, get this out more into the world. And so, um, so what we're doing with the souls and hearts, what we're, what we're, what we're trying to do, this is the big goal. This is the why that souls and hearts exists 
is to help people have this deep personal intimate relationship with God the Father, with Mary our mother, to be able to receive love and to love back. And a lot of other, you know, a lot of other ministries, you know, a lot of other organizations are focused on this, but our particular corner of the vineyard is to overcome the natural level obstacles, the human formation obstacles, the things that get in the way because of our human formation. And you don't have to just go to therapy or, 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 or counseling for that. You know, therapy and counseling don't have a monopoly on that. Um, you know, when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden back in Genesis 3, you know, and there's an angel with a fiery sword, there wasn't like a community mental health clinic that just sort of, you know, sprang up, right? We have other ways that we can work with this. So what, what my partner, uh, Dr. Jerry Creed, and I have done is we're bringing together the best of human formation resources, the best of psychological resources grounded in a Catholic faith, grounded in a Catholic understanding of the human person, these kind of resources that are are um, are 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 retrofitted to understand who we are as beloved sons and daughters of God. And so we bring that out in that website. We're we're probably we're the most active, we're the biggest Catholic psychology website out there. We started out doing courses and um what we've come to more and more is the importance of community. We're really focused, this is the way I think about it, we're really focused on the salvation of hearts. Now, there's a lot of talk about the salvation of souls. We're focused on the salvation of hearts. If you save the heart, you will save the soul. And right now, so many people, the way to the soul is through the heart. You've got to start with the heart or none of, it, none of the rest of it will make sense. You've got to meet them in some way that they can understand. If you start talking about like a lot of theological stuff or even a lot of apologetics or catechesis, it's all up in the head. It's all up in the head. You know, we want to go for the heart, heart by heart. We work at an individual level. That doesn't mean we're doing all one-on-one -on -one stuff, but we are bringing people together in communities where they have accountability partners, where they're meeting in small groups, and they're able to take in the kind of resources that we offer, like in the Resilient Catholics community, which is a community that I that I lead, we're, we've got a whole year-long program to help you with your human formation. It's grounded in a particular way of, of looking at uh, internal change and integration called internal family systems that's well adjusted, that's well, um, it's well able to be, um, to be uh, engaged in with somebody wanting to do their own work. You know, so we set up conditions for success where people can be on this pilgrimage together. We call our small groups companies and we call like uh, our, our accountability partners companions, sort of like the Lord of the Rings, because we're on this adventure. We're on this uh, we're on this adventure towards towards better human formation. So souls and hearts doesn't really have a spirituality per se. I mean, it's all grounded in Catholicism, but because it's human formation, it's not really working in the spiritual realm primarily. And so that's why our patron is St. John the Baptist, because he prepared the way for the Lord. We're shoring up the natural foundation for the spiritual life. We're helping to overcome, because whatever whatever problems you have in relationships, Charbel, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, avoidance or, or fear of vulnerability or whatever it is, you're going to take that into your relationship with God. Anything that you struggle with on a relationships with relationships here on earth in your natural level, in natural level connections, you're going to bring that into your relationship with God.
Interesting. I mean, we've heard it uh, many of the times. Grace builds on nature, doesn't it? Grace perfects nature. Exactly. And so, so we don't want to neglect that. We don't, we don't want to neglect that. Otherwise, you know, there can be all kinds of spiritual form. And this is what I was finding 20 years ago when, when, when clients were first coming to see me, they had gone through so many spiritual means. They had tried so many spiritual solutions. And it's not that those things were bad, but we were dealing with a natural level problem. You know, if you've, if you've been in a car accident and you've got a bad cut, you've got arterial bleeding, you're going to use a natural level solution, probably a tourniquet, you know, probably getting to the hospital, you know, repairing those arteries um, rather than looking for a spiritual solution. Right. And so um, what we want for folks is to be able to have, um, to be able to have these, these, these solutions, these, these answers on the natural level. Why? So that they can begin to connect with their spiritual parents, their primary parents, God, the father, Mary, our mother, those are who we're called to be in primary relationship with our, our natural level parents ideally should point the way to God, the father and Mary, our mother. Um, but we don't think about it that way, you know, and it's, this is really ultimately where I think we have to, where we have to go. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's, that's what, that's what our efforts are all focused on our why about the salvation of hearts really working at that felt level, not that feelings are everything. I don't want to get caught up into some, you know, sort of the idea that subjectivism is everything because it's not, but to be able to work in that natural realm, because there's been so much trauma, so much disruption there. Fantastic. That web, uh, the website for people, if they want to get to know more or get involved or learn yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. The website is soulsandhearts.com. I do a podcast uh, called Interior Integration for Catholics. It's on all the, it's all, it's on all the major podcast networks or podcast uh, platforms. Uh, and then I also do a weekly reflection that I put out every Wednesday. You can sign up for that at soulsandhearts.com on the homepage. And then we have the different communities, right? I have a whole community. I have about 80 Catholic therapists in the interior therapist community from all over the world, um, including, including Australia, um, including New Zealand. Um, you know, so yeah, so they're learning. And what we focus on in that community is all about their human formation, because the number one thing that keeps a Catholic therapist from being able to really help a client is their own human formation. It's not about their professional development. It's not about their skill set. It's not about, um, you know, their techniques and all of that. Usually it comes because there's some kind of block in the therapist that's preventing the therapist from being able to connect with the client in that same kind of area. There's a blind spot. There's a no-go zone, something there. Um, and so it's a very different way of thinking about, uh, of, of supervision, thinking about consultation. So, I mean, so there's these different communities, the resilient Catholic community. We also have the Catholic journeymen, which is for men who are working on overcoming, um, uh, they're, they're working towards chastity. They're working towards purity in their relationships. We've got that community. Um, and, uh, and then just a ton of resources. If you go to our resources page, we alphabet, we, we have them all alphabeticalized for everything from addictions to vocation, vocational discernment. So oh, lots yeah. and lots and lots of resources there. Um, so, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I, I noticed that vocational one of uh, discerning uh, what God's call in your life. And your life. So that, that sounds very interesting. I might do that myself. I love, I mean, I, I feel I've found it, but, uh, but it's great. To, to learn and um, and it's, it's just great. I think if everyone did what God was calling them to do, then we'll be a, a lot more uh, happier and joy filled and, and at peace and, and fulfilled, I guess. So 
Yeah, praise God. Thank you for your work. Um, I'm I'm fascinated. I think I wish we had a lot more time, but love to get you back on down the track and, uh, yeah, and maybe yeah. uh, let's keep promoting uh, this and get people um, more aware that there are Catholic psychologists out there or clinical psychologists, mm -hmm. and there's a great network. And let's get and connect uh, across the across the world here. So yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm super excited to to be paired up with you. One of the things I really noticed, like I said, was in your mission statement. You're about the relationship, and I love to partner with organizations that get it. That it's about the relationship. It's not about mm -hmm. you know power spirituality or macho spirituality, overcoming all our vices, you know, gaining all the virtues, but never being in a in a loving relationship with God. You know, so you guys get that. Super excited that you're on that and glad to be on the same team with with all of you at Perusia. So thank you so much. Well, please pray for our work. We're praying for your work. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. And we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Peter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, everyone. I hope you, you've got a lot out of that, I, as I did. Um, if you want to uh, know more, please go to uh, hearts. Let me get this right. Soulsandhearts.com. Soulsandhearts.com. Let's get there. We'll put the link in the description below. And let's let's uh, pray for this great ministry um, and pray for Dr. Peter and his team and the work that they're doing because I see a huge need in this area. Thanks again, everyone. Uh, I'm Shavel Raish, and, and thanks again. And until next time, God bless you.